Welcome to In Search of the Mind of God. We invite you to search with us the mind of God. When searching His Word, we can always be sure of our salvation will not be used on man's ideas or false feelings. It will never be our purpose to promote any denominational doctrine of any religious group. Man is fallible. God is not. This program is brought to you by the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ. We are located at 384 East Midway Road here in White City, Florida. This program contains previous recordings from Joe Wilson, who graduated from this life in 2018. We invite you to join us for worship. Personal Bible study is available, and we propose to know nothing among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. chapters in the Bible is many times misunderstood because in the discussion of this chapter, what is happening, the purpose of what is being taught, and the reason it's instructed as it is, is not told. The reason it's not told is people have dissected it and taken it and separated it and made it a part of nothing and try to isolate it from the text and the context so that when you read it, you're reading something that is a confusing verbiage that does not give you the information that the God of heaven intended to be given. This only chime in the story of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that this incident occurs. And as with any discussion, the who when and in what language has to be true. If you don't start looking at John 17 as a part of a greater whole, then you miss the understanding that is therein related. You see, what Jesus was doing was the end of a time of instruction to his disciples that had begun in the 13th chapter when he instituted the washing of the disciples' feet. He came to the disciples and began to wash their feet and said, you've been clean part way. In other words, you've had the baptism of John the Baptist. But I'm going to baptize you with a baptism that you need to not really worry about. And Peter said, Lord, if you're going to baptize my feet, just get all of me. Jesus said, just relax. I'm going to get to that sooner or later. But those who were there were there under duress. As you study the teachings of the preamble to the body of Christ, you find that there had been a seed of dissension sown by Satan himself through the heart of one Judas Iscariot that had become quite effective. And so Jesus was teaching his disciples from that point on how to understand their role, what they were going to do, and how that they had to be faithful to him if they were going to be they who would carry the gospel to the world. And they were defeated. They were downtrodden. Judas had left. 
Peter had been told that he couldn't follow Jesus where he was going at the present time in John 14. Jesus, though, reminded them in John 15 that they had to be the branches and have to be connected to the vine, and that the way that they were to carry about their job was the Holy Spirit, which he was sending to lead them and direct them into all the truth. But they were still depressed. I know they were because you can catch the attitude of the answers and the questions that he gives them and the statements made in the 17th chapter. See, Jesus was going home. And the purpose of the prayer is for encouragement and faithfulness. In John, the third chapter, you just need to look over there right quickly. We're going to use the Bible quite a bit this morning. I want you to follow me. In John 3 and 3, Jesus had told Nicodemus that you had to be born again. And in verse 33, that those who had been born again had to be faithful. Now look at verse 33. He that hath received his testimony has set to his seal that God is true. Going home was the plan of God. Going home is what the disciples couldn't handle. They had been put to sleep by the doctrine of Judas that Jesus was going to establish his kingdom here on the earth. Now the premillennialist states that he's going to get to rule and reign a thousand years. But he's going to establish his kingdom here on the earth. Judas would be the chief financial officer. And Peter would be the head of operations for the military. And each one of these disciples would have certain things that they would do. And Jesus turns around and says, I'm leaving. And they couldn't handle it. So he said, let not your heart be troubled. Now, if their heart wasn't troubled, he wouldn't say, let it not be. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Unfortunately, we'll hear people use this at a wedding. In some instances, in most instances, we'll hear it at a funeral. But never as it refers to the event that was taking place. Jesus was going home. This chapter is often thought to be a personal appeal and therefore of Christ misunderstood. It is taught by a lot of people that this is where Jesus found himself prostrate before God the Father and as he was there prostrate, this prayer was heard. But as Jesus was going with his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane, as any rabbi would do, he was teaching as he walked. And as he was teaching and headed to the Garden of Gethsemane, this was the, this was the message that he was given. If you get nothing out of this sermon this morning, there's one thing you must get out of it. And that is Jesus is talking to the Father and he is speaking to him in a way that is not considered prayer. Oh, I know. Your Bible says Jesus' prayer. It's translated prayer. But there's a different word that is used here which we'll talk about in a minute. 
words need to be defined that are often overlooked. Before the crucifixion, the only people that knew Jesus as the supposed Messiah were those who were around him and about him. But after the crucifixion, the world would come running at his feet. In Isaiah 1 and 3, Isaiah prophesied, Thy people do not know thee. But in John 16 and 30, as Jesus was headed home, he says he had gotten these disciples to the place that they had now again become convinced that he was the son. Look at John 16, 30. Now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest from God. It had taken him three years to convince them of this, and he was leaving. And as he was leaving, they didn't know what they were doing or what was going to be going on. Their hearts and their minds were in array. And as they could give only heed to Jesus as he was here on the earth, they gave heed to him as a man. But when the resurrection appeared, they gave heed to him as God. The apostles elect were scared. Jesus is trying to build up their confidence and this chapter has to be read with that in mind. If you read this as a reading uh, that is to yourself, you miss the entire message. If you miss this as a reading of Jesus praying to God the Father, prostrate, praying not to die, you miss the entire passage. Worse, if you read this as Jesus wanting out, you totally miss the concept of John 17. You know, sometimes words help you understand things. And with these words, we're going to define. The Greek word usually for prayer is prosukomei. This word means to plead, to implore, to beg from a position of inequality and servitude. As we go before God the Father, we prosukomei, or we go to God in prayer. But as Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and he spoke to the Father, he was, there was the word used, ereteo, not prosukomei. The word ereteo means an equal speaking to an equal. So when Jesus was speaking to God the Father, he was speaking as one equal to another. Jesus eratado, if we could use the English um, messing up of the word, he eratado with the Father, he did not prosukomei. That's the first thing that kind of grabs your attention when you go to look at this chapter. If Jesus was prosukomei, or if he was there pleading and begging as one who was in servitude to one who was going to give him a benefit, or if he was speaking as one of inequality to one who was greater than he in position, rank, and power, if he was imploring or begging from a position of uh, defeat or destruction, it would give us a complete thought as to what was being said. But Jesus was speaking in the Greek word from the word ereteo. He was speaking with one of whom and with whom he was equal. They were discussing or he was teaching about something that they were involved in the discussion that he had people listening that needed to hear. And as he was walking and teaching, this, this was the message that was given. 
Another word is the word glorify. This word in the Greek language means to cause dignity and worth to be made known. Jesus was saying to God the Father, I'm going to make your dignity and worth known. I'm going to introduce you to the world by the death that I'm going to die. This was the intent of Christ's death, that the world might know that thou hast sent me. Look at verse 21. Then he said, thou hast given me power. This word power is the word which means to give me leave to do or permission our authority, are to rule over them that must submit to my authority. Thou hast given me the authority, the power, the permission. Father, thou hast made this possible so that they who will be obedient to me will be under my power. And you have given this to me. This is the word to use what had already been belonging to another person that was being lent or was given by permission, either the person or the thought. And then finally, when Jesus said, I came out, as he says in verse 7 and 8, when I came out, that means he came voluntarily and not by command or intimidation our pressure from someone that was higher and greater than he. Now, when you define these words as they are, and we don't speak Greek, so therefore we get them confused. When you define these words as given, Jesus was speaking to the Father about the disciples who were listening and being taught by what he was saying, and he was telling them as he was teaching that I'm going to show you the plan of God the Father. I'm going to show you how you work in that plan and that God the Father has given me the power or the rule or the permission that those who are going to be obedient to God must submit to my authority. And they whom he has given me, the disciples that were following them, or him, was God. These disciples already belonged to God. Jesus had just been the stewards of what God had given him. And he said, I have kept all of them except one. And I came here voluntarily, not by command, not by intimidation, and not against my will. Now, if you define these words... You already have a completely different idea of what's being talked about than probably did when we started. But when Jesus spake words, he spake to God the Father, and he spake with the Greek word ereteo. And he said, Father, the time, the hour is come that thy son is going to make you known to the whole world. As I make you known to the whole world, He's going to glorify both me and thee. And as thou hast given him the power or the right to rule and make men submit to his law over all flesh, not just the Jew, but the Jew and the world, he's going to give him this power that will allow those who hear these apostles eternal life. For eternal life is in his name by his authority. 
And thou hast given him these, or lent them to me, as thou hast given them me, that they may teach and preach this life eternal, that the world might know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. This is a completely different concept that most people have used when they read John 17. And because it's such a different concept, it's going to be something that is distinct. He said, I've glorified thee on the earth. Or when you look at the word glorify, I have caused your dignity and worth to be known as I am here on the earth, but the world doesn't know you yet. But by the time I'm resurrected from the dead and they go into all the world and preach the gospel, Father, the, word, the world will glorify thee as it does me. Glorify thy name. This is missed most of the time. Look at verse 2. It means that through which or by which this was to be done. I have a way that through which the world will know. Oh, before his death, there were a few Jews that knew about Jesus in and around Jerusalem. But after his resurrection and ascension to heaven and him ascending these apostles into all the world, the entire world would know of the greatness of the God the Father. You see, this glorifying thy name was the how-to for really, when you stop and think about it, God the Father had been in dominion of what he had given to the Son. It had not yet been released. And what the Son now was about to release upon the world was that that God the Father had dominion over that would make the world free. Now, what God the Father had dominion over was his plan, which had made, not been made known to men of other ages, Paul would write, as it, been, as it had been given to us, his holy apostles. God the Father had dominion. He had kept that to himself to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which hath been hid in God. God the Father had had dominion. He had not allowed this to be revealed. He had, though, given it to the Son, and he had a given the authority for the Son and his apostles, whom he would send into all the world, to allow this knowledge of the plan of God to be preached to men. God had given Christ this power. It wasn't that Christ had lost any power that God had to give him, because Christ was known as power. He was known as the God, the Lord of hosts. He was known in actuality in some instances to have a temper. It wasn't that he was lacking power. It was that he had not been given the permission to preach this message because God the Father had retained it in his dominion. But God had given Christ permission, the authority to send the, the message into all the world. And they'd been chosen for that job. And as he went into all the world, they would be sent by the um, uh, God of heaven through Jesus Christ, who had been given permission to preach this message through the Holy Spirit as the apostles spake and wrote. Now, the, the purpose of Jesus Christ before him coming to the earth had been told us in Isaiah, the ninth chapter in the sixth verse. He was the messenger of the great council. 
Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Now the uh, Septuagint translates this as the messenger of the council. There had been a council that had convened which had told the will of God the Father that would be put in words that men could understand that Jesus Christ would prepare and the Holy Spirit would bring that God the Father had planned a plan whereby man could be redeemed and saved. And of all the time that God had dealt with man through Christ and in sometimes the Spirit of God, man had never conceived of the glory of God. Turn to the book of Ephesians, the first chapter and the third verse. Paul writes as he speaks here, and he says this was from the foundations of the world, and it was foreordained of God. Listen. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Nobody knew this. This had not been preached. This had not been hinted at. This had not been taught. Yet this was the plan of God from the foundations of the world. And Jesus was walking with these disciples to a place where he was going to die. And he was trying to conjure and strengthen them with the idea that you've got to be faithful. You've got to remain you are the means by which this message is to be preached. Let not your heart be troubled. He said, I've glorified you while I was on the earth. I worked miracles. I preached through the word. I've taught the chosen. I've done what I've been sent to do, and that is to prepare myself and get myself in a position where man will cause me to die. Now this blessing has come. You see, Jesus thought this death was a blessing. Man thinks it is a curse. That's the reason Paul would write to the Ephesians and cry, Awake thou slugger that sleepest, and Christ shall give thee light. Awake from the doldrums of not understanding the plan of God. Or in the second verse of Ephesians 5, he would write, Christ loved us. And has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Become aware of what God had planned from the foundations of the world. And Jesus would tell the disciples in John 15 and 9, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. The messenger of the great council had come to make known the Father's will and the Father's plan. Not to the Jews only, but now to whosoever will. The words of the Father, when kept to himself, did not glorify the Father. But when exposed by the light of the world, the heart of the Father could be seen. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. 
These people hadn't had any intimation or idea. Paul would later write and say this is called the mystery that has been hid from the foundations of the world. Or, as I quoted before, I'll quote it again, Ephesians 3, 9 through 11, to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which hath been hid in God, to the intent that now, under principalities and powers in heavenly places, might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Now listen to the 11th verse. According to the eternal purpose which he hath in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul would write to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11 and say, God revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, even the deep things of God. You're Jesus. You've got a disquieted bunch of men. The seed of destruction had been planted in their hearts by the messenger of Satan. Judas had done his job and done it well. These disciples were dismayed. They were just so apprehensive they didn't know what to do. Many of them were going to quit and stop. Jesus was on the last leg of the very job that God the Father and he had determined to do from the foundations of the world. And so this was a building up sermon. This was a lifting up of their hearts. This was a showing them and him speaking to the Father. He's calling the Father as a witness to this conversation. And in the mouth of two or three witnesses, the thing is established. Now, if this had not been true, Jesus wouldn't have had the Father as a witness to it. Had it been wrong, the Father would have condemned the message. But since it was actual and exact, Jesus was calling him who was immutable, whose counsel is undeniable, who could never be denied or questioned. When the Father had had words and dominion over them, man had been imperfect. But when he gave them to the Son, who was the light of the world, man has them, and those are they, the words that were sent to the world through the Holy Spirit by the apostles. That's the reason John would write in John 3.33, He that hath received his testimony has set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God sent speaks the words of God without measure or control or amount. You see, the message that had been coming up to this time was a controlled message. There was just only a certain amount revealed. There was just only a part of the little part of the story because the messenger of the great council was the one who had been given the right, the privilege, and the opportunity to carry this message to man. And that message was eternal life. Then the knowledge of the plan from the foundations of the world would cause they who and we who obey this to become citizens of heaven. The Father had given Jesus these stewards. They were the ones who were to carry this message to the world through the apostles as the Spirit gave them utterance. And the message of eternal life, which would be brought about by the preaching of the gospel of Christ, would show that the plan that God the Father had made had a glory and an honor and a vestitude of all the greatness and unbelievable majesty that man had never seen. So Paul would write, I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, 
neither hath it entered into the heart of man what God hath in store for they that love him. Jesus said to the Father as he was walking, What mine is thine, and thine is mine. Now, there's a lot of people that think that Jesus was trying to act as though he was subservient to God. But listen to this verbiage, what mine is thine. Thine is mine, and mine is thine. It's not what is thine will be mine. It is what thine is, is mine, and mine is thine. You know, there's no human existence that this could be true. There's no way that a man could be walking with his father and talking to him and say everything that you are, everything that you have, everything you have a right to is mine by inheritance. What belongs to the father sometimes can never belong to the son. If you want to be personal about it, his mother could never belong to the son in the way that he belonged to the Father. The experiences that he had could never belong to the Son as they had belonged to the Father. The pains and joys shows them that these things being different with the Father and the Son, the Father and the Son are really not equal. But when the claim is made that thine is mine and mine is thine, that shows that they are equal, that they're the same. These things or apostles given to the Son would never be they who were alienated or taken from the control of the Father. Now, it is also true in logic and its consequence that what belongs to the less never in actuality belongs to the greater. And what belongs to the greater never actually can belong to the less. But when Jesus was saying, what mine is thine and thine is mine, shows that there was no less or greater between the two, that they were equals. And therefore, there was no consideration of it being in any other way. As equals, then the crucifixion of Jesus Christ would be the glorification of of the beings that were to be glorified. Both would be glorified. If not, then what belonged to the Father could not belong to the Son. And if what belonged to the Son could not belong to the Father. They were all they, in the sense of teaching this message, those who would bring both equal glory to the Father and equal glory to the Son because it would cause the Son to be heralded as the salvation of the world, and it will show the great power of the love that God the Father had to show the dignity and worth of the gospel that he allowed to be preached. Now let's go through John 17 and see if you can understand what Jesus is speaking as for the next few moments, we read his words. Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son. Allow me now to have the possibility of bringing the dignity and worth of your plan to the world through the apostles. That thy son may also glorify thee. That the world, Father, may finally recognize who, what, and what a great heart you possess. 
As thou hast given him, the son, power, as you've given him the right to cause those to have to submit to his authority over all flesh, not just the Jew only, the Jew and the Gentile. And as this authority is exercised, you're going to give eternal life. You're going to give us the message that would allow me to have my disciples preach. I'm going to pray to the Father. He will send you the Spirit. You're going to tell what it's going to take for they who have been in sin to really live eternally in heaven. You're going to give us the knowledge of eternal life that they might know, might come to recognize thee, the only true God, the God of truth. Truth is that which had always existed but had not been revealed. A truth over which God the Father had had dominion and not allowed to be preached or, or, or sent to man. The truth that Jesus came to teach because John came and uh, John, the, the Paul, uh, uh, John writes, for uh, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, John 1.17. And I've glorified thee on the earth. I have allowed them to recognize the dignity and worth. But now, Father, I'm coming to thee. And the glory which I had with thee before the world was. The equality that we have one with another is the same. Glorify me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. The message that I'm going to be preaching is going to honor and extol and cause man to fall down in reverence. Oh, even his own disciples, before he was crucified, looked at him as a man. But after he was resurrected from the dead, if you'll look at their verbiage and you'll look at the way that the Spirit has the apostles write these words, they then saw him as God. It changed the way people thought who even knew Christ. But then, when Christ was resurrected from the dead, it extolled and honored and glorified the Father. For it was the Father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. It was before the foundations of the world. It was foreordained. It was predetermined as it was the will of God the Father. Now, Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Let everybody recognize. For I have manifested thy name unto these men that thou gavest me. He gave them to you. You lent me these men. They were thine. They were yours. Just as thine are mine and mine is thine. We're equals. Our Father, as this message is going to be preached to thy word, they have kept my way or thy word. And they've not known all these things whatsoever thou hast given me or of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. And they've received them and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou hast sent me. And here is the epsy-dixit, as they say. Look at verse 9. A lot of people say, well, what was Jesus praying about? First of all, it was not as a prayer that we pray. He was speaking as an equal to an equal. So what was the discussion that Jesus was involved in? Are you, I'm just waiting on you to get to verse 9. Put your finger on verse 9. Look at verse 9. You'll see, if Jesus is telling the truth, what this was all about. I pray 
for them. I'm speaking, Father, about them. It is them of whom I speak. They are those that are the subject of my discussion. Now, these disciples are following Jesus. And they're going to the Garden of Gethsemane. And as they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, they're hearing these things. Did they sink in? Did they understand? Did they comprehend? Be that as it may, whether they did or they didn't, is not a question of the time. What is the question of the time is of what and about what is John 17. If we don't understand it in text and context, if we don't understand to whom he's speaking and about what, in what dispensation, and what's the subject matter, we'll never, ever get what Jesus is talking about. And he's discussing this with God the Father as an equal. And he said, those you gave me, yeah, they were yours to start with, but you've lent them to me, and I've been a steward of them. And I'm going to give them back to you as you gave them to me. And as I give them back to you, I'm going to declare that mine are thine and thine are mine. We're equal. We have the same rank. We're the same same nature. And as I am equal, I am going to seek the position or stature that I had before I was the messenger of the great council. For I have done the job that I have sent been sent to do. And then in verse 9, if nobody can misunderstand anything that anybody has ever written, you can't misunderstand this. This is one of those verses it takes help to misunderstand, and I'm afraid to tell you that there's a lot of preachers in the church of Christ that misunderstand it. Listen, it's real simple. I pray for them. Get it? I'm not here praying for me. I'm not here talking to you about me. I'm not here discussing what I'm about to go through. That's a given. I've done that. It's completed. It's good as done. I, speaking to thee, am thy son, who is equal to thee. And I'm discussing about they who are following me. Whom thou hast given me. Not the world. But for them which thou hast given me. For they are thine. And here in verse 10. All mine are thine. And thine are mine. And I am glorified in them. Now I think that makes this to where you can understand this in a way that maybe you never have. At least it shows you the glory and the beauty of the message of God. Here Jesus Christ is walking with these disciples. And he's teaching them as he goes to the place of death. And as he goes to the place of death, he said, this is the plan. This has always been this way. I've done that. God speaks of things that are not as though they are. I mean, it's done. He said, Father, this is done. No question. I'm not, there's never going to be a question about it. This is done. This is the way I glorify thee and glorify me. If I don't let the world see me this way, 
then it'll never know me nor thee because they're not going to know the plan because unless I am given as a sacrifice for the sins of the world, the apostles won't go into all the world to preach the gospel and nobody will ever know the heart or the plan of God the Father which has existed from the foundations of the earth. So I'm ready. The hour's come. That's what we've been waiting on now for about six or 7,000 years. That the commoner can know what God the Father had had dominion over that the prophets had hinted at but never understood. That the world had never conceived of because it was so far beyond their capacity. For eye had not seen and ear had not heard neither hath it entered into the heart of man. If you're here need to be obedient to the gospel of Christ, today we're going to stand and sing number 567. That's what I've got. 567. There's a great day coming. And this great day is going to come when Jesus Christ breaks through the sky and comes back to claim we that are his. Will you come? If you enjoyed today's sermon, read our regularly updated blog for insightful articles by visiting us online at pslchurchofchrist.com. If you would like to watch previous sermons, they can be viewed on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash PSL Church of Christ. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PSL Church of Christ. Or if you prefer to visit us in person to learn more on Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m., as well as Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. And you can visit us at 384 East Midway Road next to Walgreens. See you next week. As we continue to grow the church and carry the legacy of Joe David Wilson, in this next segment, you will hear sermons from the current preachers here at the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ. Yes, tonight I want to examine and finish up our study and understanding of Satan, uh, changing himself into an angel of light and his imps appearing in the pulpits of the churches today. I know that's hard to believe and people don't want to accept that because their preacher wouldn't lie to him. He's a man of God. He's a gentle man, kind man. He loves everybody. And I appreciate the fact that people look at uh, their leader or their shepherd that way. But what we have to ask ourselves tonight, are these people teaching the Word of God are they teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are they teaching a religious philosophy or an understanding of their own doing or of men of the past? We understand that God has placed before us the written word. The purpose of that was so that there can, you can't go wrong. But you have to study that. Study to show yourself approved. Give yourself the opportunity of examining what you've been told, heard, and the organization you belong to and appreciate the fact that these people have not your interest at heart, but their own interest at heart. Revelation 22.18 says this, For I testify unto you and every man that heareth the word of prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. This book is about the end of time. It's about uh, that thing. And Paul and John both visioned and saw what was happening in heaven. John said that he saw a vision and opened up. 
he was told by an angel uh, of what what to expect and what to see. But when we get to 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22, we understand that those are things of prophecy of the future. Those things that were going to happen. So we understand that as uh, John writes in this book, inspired by the angel and the Holy Spirit, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of this prophecy of the book, that if any man shall add unto these things, God will add unto him the plagues written in this book. In other words, in the end time, that thing which is going to befall man for disobedience is what's going to happen. We don't have the opportunity today to challenge these people openly. I would like to. I think it would be a great thing. But you see they have altered and changed the hearts of men. They have stolen the soul of this nation. They have stolen it with a bowl of red pottage, with soup, with lentil, vegetables with no meat in it. Second Peter 2 uh, three says this, And though covetousness shall be with uh, feign words, make merchandise of you, whose judgment now for a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. So a continual thing, as Peter writes here, supposedly the first pope of the Catholic Church, as he writes here, he says that there will be people that will make merchandise of you for the purpose of changing your mind, altering your destination of your soul, and putting you in a position where you will have to answer for the sins of the flesh. I understand and I realize that it's difficult for any of us to admit that we've been deceived. Well, we have to a large degree. Very few churches teach the truth of this word. They do not follow the first century church's example. Baptism, taking of the Lord's Supper, all those things which were commanded to do and which the apostles did and which the first century church did are not followed necessarily today. One of the misnomers and the misguidance of our uh, illustrious church leaders today is the, is the teaching of baptism. Now, there are some that teach that you don't have to be baptized to be saved. Contrary to that, we know better if we study the Word. There are those that pour and sprinkle for baptism. But the examples given in the Holy Red are those not only of full immersion or the opportunity for those that sought baptism to become children of God would have the chance and the opportunity to understand what this was all about. So what do we say to these people? Do we tell them that that God's a liar? Do we tell them that that he doesn't exist? That this is some fable, some false teaching, some ideal of some man uh, named Paul who wrote the book of Acts? Was he just writing down things that he thought would... uh, uh, tickle people's ears and, and cause them to convert uh, to Christ through a lie? No. This is not what's established in the book of Acts. In Acts 8, 37 38, the eunuch himself and and uh, Philip both walked down into the water and the eunuch was baptized. Now, there had to be a whole lot of water there for uh, both men to get in there, which tells you he didn't sprinkle the eunuch and he didn't he didn't pour the water on the eunuch. He baptized him with full immersion. When we cross our hands and are fully submersed and come out of the water, 
We're duplicating the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what baptism is. And you can't do that by pouring or sprinkling uh, water on somebody's head. It doesn't work that way. Uh, Acts 9.15 tells about Paul being baptized. After he'd prayed and uh, had spent his penance and been on his and hadn't eaten for three days, Ananias says, Arise and be baptized. Why would he tell him that? If he was a standing Jew, educated, intelligent, had followed the law of Moses to the full extent, was had done so to the fact that he was had elevated himself into the society of the of the uh, Sanhedrin. He had elevated himself, but he still needed to be baptized. So what does that mean? That means he wasn't a child of God. He wasn't a Christian. He had to become a Christian. He had to change, alter 180. He had to be born of the Spirit and not of woman again. As Nicodemus was instructed. Acts 10, 47 and 48 tells us the story of Cornelius, a Roman soldier. Now there are those that say, well, when Cornelius' whole house was uh, baptized, it included children. Well, it doesn't say that. And the word baptism means full uh, immersion. And in order to be baptized and ask, uh, as announce that Christ is the Son of God, for the remission of your sins, you have to be old enough to be able to do that. There are those that baptize babies. That's impossible. It's not possible for that to happen. A child is sinless. You name me one thing that God made that wasn't perfect before man got his hands on it. Sin in our lives today are learned things. We learn to rape, rob, steal, uh, kill. We learn all those. You're not born with those things. The sin against mankind and the sin against your God are things that you learn from other men, including false prophets and false teachers in the pulpit. Now Cornelius was responsible, as was the custom of Rome and the custom of uh, Jerusalem and the Israelites at the time, that a man was responsible for his house. He would have been, Peter would have uh, not been doing his duty had he not asked and subjected all those, men and women, to become children of God. And that's what he did. There's not one thing in that scripture that says children, those below the age of accountability, who did not understand who Jesus Christ and could, could not confess that, that uh, Christ was the Son of God, that's necessary, they couldn't do that. So we see that the fallacy of some that either don't baptize, which we know they don't count, some that do baptize with pouring and sprinkling, which is, which is a halfway uh, house, halfway home, are those that fully submerge according to the dictates and the teaching of the New Testament. Now there are those who have started several churches who have tried to take the opportunity to say that they know more or have a greater understanding or they're in a better position or they're more knowledgeable than you are and they can do this and they can do that and they've read the, the golden tablets with the, uh, the rose-colored glasses or whatever the, the saying was. But we have to understand that unless people follow the dictates of the teachings of the Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, they aren't children of God, they aren't Christians, they aren't our brothers and sisters. I know that's hard to believe. I know that's hard to accept. I know that's hard to understand. But as we read in 
uh, Luke 24, 47, we'll read this. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. Ellen White wasn't at the foot of the cross. The Pope wasn't there. Peter wasn't there. If you consider him to be the first Pope. Uh, Those men that started the Catholic Church. Those men that started the Methodist Church. Those men that started the Lutheran Church in Germany. Switzerland. United States. Wherever you want to proclaim that, they were not their religion and their philosophy and their teaching the gospel they teach did not come from Jerusalem first. I'm sorry, that's where it had to start. Now there are those in the church in churches today which proclaim that they uh, live by the law of Moses. Absolutely impossible. Uh, you cannot the law was never meant to be followed completely, and it was never meant to be uh, uh, as a vehicle of salvation. Now the law of Moses is a wonderful law. It served its purpose. But Hebrews 8.7 says this, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then there should be no place to sought for the second. The first one wasn't good enough. It was a wonderful law. The Israelites didn't follow it anyway. But there was no salvation promised in that law. There was no attempt or ability of man by the slaughtering of animals to obtain eternal life. It wasn't meant to do that. I would ask those who practice the law of Moses today and say it's still valuable to name me one soul, one person whose life has been saved eternally through the law of Moses. It can't be done. It was never intended to do that. 